I am just honored to be here, to teach the Word of God, to gather with you, with women, to get away. It feels so good to get away, doesn't it? And to teach with my mom. That's such a gift for me. I have learned so much from my mom, right? We learned so much from our moms. And I remember um, just a couple years ago, I went to this dinner, and this dinner was for parents with young, young children, okay? And it was this older couple in our church, and they prepared this beautiful long table in their home. And it was like a feast, like with courses. And it was such a treat for all of us parents with young kids, because you know, that's not the reality at my dinner table most nights, right? And so we're sitting at this beautiful long table, and we're just enjoying it, and just soaking in this moment of resting and feasting together. And the host, who is highly, highly intentional, says, I have a table question for the night. And the table question is, what would you do and what will you do differently than your parents did growing up? And what will you do the same? And all of us kind of in that moment panic and we're like, oh man, should we have parenting strategies already? Because we're like, our, my kid's only a year and a half. I was pregnant with our second. We're like, oh, we haven't thought about this. But in this moment, as we're kind of all thinking and processing and some people jump in first and kind of speak up and I'm like, I need some time to process. I start thinking, okay, what would I do differently than my parents growing up? And the first thing that came to mind, <laughs> and I promise this is not going to be a roast, mom. <laughs> we were always late, like to everything, like predictably late to everything growing up, okay? And we forgot stuff that we were supposed to bring, whether it was like the soccer equipment or that we were doing snack that day or the homework or the lunch or the, the costume for the thing. It was like, we all, we're just all over the place, okay? So I'm thinking, and I so badly as a kid wanted to be like, the, the one who had the um, peanut butter and jelly sandwich with, that was cut out with like a cookie cutter. You know what I mean? And some of you are laughing, but some of you do that. And I wanted that so bad to have the like heart-shaped peanut butter sandwich that was all cut out and perfect in my lunch. And that is not the kind of lunches that I had. But listen, so I'm thinking, this is the first thing that comes to mind. What are you going to do differently than your parents, okay? So I'm thinking about this. Before I answer, I thought about it. I get to answer both questions. And then I asked that question, what am I gonna do the same? Immediately, like the first thing that comes to my mind is I see this picture of we're getting ready to go to a friend's house. We were living in Chicago in the time, at the time. And we walk out the door and we're loading up the car and my mom sees the neighbor across the street. I can't even remember the, our neighbor's name at the time. Maybe Julie. And we're, we're sitting and we're, you know, we're getting in the car and we're loading the car and my mom's like, hey Julie. Julie's like, hey, Denise. And my mom's like, how are you? Julie's like, good. And my mom just was like, hey, guys, hold on a second. She sets down all the stuff, makes a beeline, marches straight over to Julie. She's like, Julie, what's going on? And there's this moment where my mom does ministry, right? And she just looks at Julie, and Julie gets to share, like, here's what's going on in my marriage. Here's what's happening. In our and all of us kids are kind of like standing in the driveway waiting. <laughs> And this was not like a one-time moment. My mom had this rhythm of, of stopping. And here's the thing about my mom. I just want to brag about her for a second. 
She, like Megan said, when she was kind of giving her bio last night, she's worked at and run ministries for some of the biggest churches in the country. She's published small group curriculum that's won awards. But the ministry that I saw her do growing up was never, never had anything to do with her position. It was just face-to-face, one-on-one. And she had this way of, you know, seeing what a person is, hearing what a person is saying, but then looking beyond that and seeing what they were really feeling and needing and, and sensing in that moment. And here's the thing, not just being attentive to that, but then pressing into it, right? And she would just stop all the time. We made stops all the time to drop off cookies and do, you know, it's like to, to just do ministry and life. And as I'm sitting at this dinner table, like, I'm putting these pieces together in real time. I'm like tearing up before I even give my answer because I'm like, that's the reason we were late. <laughs> that's the reason that we forgot the lunch and the homework. I'm serious. And it was like, it was such a powerful moment for me to go, isn't that the way of Jesus? To stop, to see the moment, to see the face, to see the opportunity, and to just press in right there. And everybody thought Jesus was late. (laughs) Why aren't you going? You got to get moving. Lazarus and who knows who's about to die. And Jesus is just focused and slow. And today, as we continue in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The next verse that we're going to look at today, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And so we are going to look at this morning, what does the way of Jesus look like? We're going to start. Here's where we're going to go. What is the gentle and humble way of Jesus? What? How does he sustain it? And the big picture, aha moment that I have been praying for, because it happened for me, it's like my aha moment at the table, thankfully before I gave my answer, where I connected like, man, she did it right all along. She did it right. She had, she's focused on the right thing. I hope that we make that connection and have that aha moment as we discover the why. Why Jesus lived the way he did. Why his way is gentle and humble. So can I just pray as we open together? Lord, I pray that we would just settle in right now, even with our posture. Just relax our shoulders, just kind of settle our bodies down and our minds just to represent our trust in you, our willingness to receive, our readiness to receive. I love being at women's retreats because they're full of women who are ready to receive. And I know you are just delighted right now. You're delighted. So Lord, I pray we would be open that if we're not, if there are things holding us back, your Holy Spirit, 
would open us and that this morning we would be left with complete adoration and worship of who you are, of how you lived, what you've done for us. Thank you, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Brene Brown says that we build character the same way we fill up a jar of marbles, and it's one marble at a time, okay? So if Jesus makes this statement and says, I am gentle and humble in heart, then based on what Brene Brown is saying, there's gonna be lots of marbles in Jesus's jar that show his gentleness and humility. Because if, if gentleness and humility are made up by everyday moments, decisions, actions, words, stories, faces, then there's gonna be a lot of stories, right? So I wanna just share a few moments, a few marbles, if you will, of Jesus's gentleness and humility. And I'm just gonna tell the stories. When I tell my kids stories, it's like they just kind of sit down and they just, their eyes widen a little bit. They assume this posture of curiosity. What's, what am I gonna hear, you know? So that's the way I wanna talk us through this. Jesus incarnate comes to earth the very first time that we hear about Jesus coming, arriving to earth is into a messy family, right? Mary and Joseph are not married. Mary's told that Jesus is coming and, and she and Joseph haven't even been together yet. There's already like, this is just chaos, right? And then the angel comes in, in Luke chapter one. I gotta read this first because it's just so beautiful. And the angel says this, in chapter 1, verse 32, he will be great and called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And they make this beautiful proclamation about Jesus and who he is and who he will be. But who did they make the proclamation to? A group of shepherds. Okay, it's not the powerful, it's not the rich, it's not the people with authority. It's not even Mary and Joseph's own peers or family members. And so how fitting that the first people to arrive at the birth of Jesus in the stable, because they have to travel right when Mary's due, perfect timing, right? Is shepherds who arrive at this king's birth. This is our first picture of the gentleness and humility of Jesus. And where does Jesus go after this? How is he raised? He does the quiet work of his father, Joseph, a carpenter, quietly serving and learning and growing. And then we get another glimpse of Jesus just a couple chapters later in the book of Luke. Oh my gosh, they go to Jerusalem, to the temple for Passover, to celebrate Passover, and Jesus sneaks out of the caravan. He's a 12-year-old. And Mary and Joseph are looking for him. And do you know the story? They find him in the temple, it says. And I want to read this to you. In Luke chapter 2, verse 46, they find him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers. And here's what he's doing. Listening to them and asking them questions. A picture of the gentleness and humility of Jesus. This Jesus from Luke 133, who will reign over the house of Jacob and whose kingdom will have no end, is sitting in the temple listening and asking questions. What a humble posture, right? 
And then what happens? When's the next time we see Jesus? He appears in public. John the Baptist is baptizing on the banks of the Jordan, and multitudes are there ready to be baptized. And Jesus marches through the crowds and parts them and says, I'm here. The reason that you all are being baptized. No, I love this in Luke chapter three. I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but as I'm reading through the book of Luke, you know that Jesus waits until everyone else has been baptized for his turn. (sighs) He goes last, a picture of the gentleness and humility of Jesus. And then what happens when he's being baptized? The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove and the voice of God speaks out of the heavens as people are watching. Oh, this is so good. In Luke chapter three and says, you are my beloved son in whom, whom I am well pleased. There's this moment of God publicly affirming Jesus before people. And Jesus emerges out of the water and preaches a fiery sermon like Peter on the day of Pentecost. No. What does Jesus do? What does Jesus do right after his baptism? He leaves and is led alone into the wilderness to be tempted by the Spirit. A picture of the gentleness and humility of Jesus. And then after the wilderness, Jesus begins his public ministry. And here's the rhythm of Jesus' public ministry. He preaches and heals and teaches and then disappears. He will will perform this unbelievable sign and then just sneak out. And a lot of Jesus' miracles at first are one-on-one. He's just content to be with a person, to do it quietly. And he'll say like, he'll even say, don't tell anyone that I did that, right? He does it one-on-one, quietly. He's content to even spend like a day with a woman at a well. That's the gentleness and humility of Jesus. But then people start to catch on to who he is and what he's up to, and crowds begin to wait. And I love that picture of, you know, as crowds are waiting and just dying to be near him, the hemorrhaging woman who's like reaching out. She's like, if only I could, if only I could just touch the hem of his cloak, I could be healed. There's people just full of faith, wanting to be near Jesus, because as they begin to hear who he is, they can't help but press into him. But there's other people who are kind of mad, right? What Jesus is teaching, it's stirring some things up. It's making them angry. It's making them scared, to be honest. But Jesus doesn't fight back, and Jesus doesn't stay and receive the praise and the honor. He sneaks away out the back door. And here's the thing. The spotlight is not necessarily bad right? Jesus is not gentle and humble simply because he steps out of receiving all attention. Jesus is gentle and humble because while others are contentious for fame and notoriety and honor, Jesus is content to love and serve and heal without any of the honor or fame for doing it. Isn't that right? It's not about the spotlight. And we think about these words, gentleness and humility often, at least I do, 
And I think, oh, that means being quiet, kind of sitting back, being weak. Jesus is full of zeal. You know what zeal is? Zeal is like energy and enthusiasm in pursuit of your cause. And Jesus knows what his cause is. That is so clear. But in his zeal, he is not self-seeking. In his zeal, he is tempered in spirit. The gentleness and humility of Jesus is his strength under control. Amen? The gentleness and humility of Jesus is that he is not focused on himself and his own honor. He sees others and their needs. The gentleness and humility of Jesus is that he demonstrates the ultimate power without receiving the praise. I love this quote from Spurgeon. This is what he says. Our king came among us, meek and lowly, gently gliding through the world, seen by his light rather than heard by his sound. Isn't that beautiful? He was content to shun fame, to avoid applause. He frequently forbade the grateful patients whom he healed to even mention his name. His modesty and love of quiet shrank him from notoriety. This is the gentleness and humility of Jesus. You get the picture, are you with me? Yeah. So the question that comes next for me is how does he do it? I mean, we know Jesus is God, but he's also man too. So how does Jesus sustain this way of living? And I think the secret to the way of Jesus is not the words of truth that he speaks. It's not the powerful miracles that he does. The secret to the way of Jesus is in the place he goes before and after he does it. It's the source of his power. How many of you have ever uh, run a marathon in this room? Wow, that's like a lot of people. Wait, keep your hands up. Okay, all right. Okay, you've run a marathon. Keep your hands up. Will you keep your hands up? How many of you have ever run a marathon without doing any training? Two people? Did you? You didn't train whatsoever. But like 26-mile marathon. Never did that. How about you? You never trained. 26 miles? How'd that go for you? She went. She's saying she went. Run. Yeah. Just 26-mile marathon. I think that's really impressive that you did it somehow. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but 26 miles, okay, this is the, I have never run a marathon, but I was on the track team in seventh grade, and um, I was fast back then, <laughs> and as I ran, I had this track meet, I was young, and didn't think about preparing, and I ran out the door with no breakfast, I found a bag of mint Skittles in my backpack, it was beta, they don't make them anymore for obvious reasons, and I ate a whole bag of mint Skittles before I ran the track meet. Guess what came up after 
the track meet. Yes. So I did not prepare well. What I put into my body came out of my body, and it was not pretty. I did not feel good that day. It was a mess. Jesus prepared his body and his mind and his heart and his soul for all of his ministry. And you know what I found as I've been reading these texts? You know what I discovered? Jesus prepared for the track meet the same way he prepared for the marathon. Unbelievable, right? Let me show you. Luke 5, 15. This is so good, you guys. After he heals a leper, it says the news about him is spreading even further. Large crowds are gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. I love the people who don't even need to be healed are still showing up too because they're like, I just need to hear. But Jesus himself, (laughs) don't you love these words? Jesus himself. Like, just to remind you, this is Jesus who will reign over the house of Jacob forever and whose kingdom will have no end. Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. Let's look at the next chapter. Jesus heals a man's hand on the Sabbath. People are going nuts. It's a little controversial. The very next verse, chapter 6, verse 12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. One of my favorite stories, Luke chapter 9, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. Oh, you guys, Jesus feeds 5,000. The people are going nuts. Like, this is one of those miracles where everyone drops everything, and they're like, Jesus. And in the John version, the John version is so good. It says they are, they're ready to make him king right then and there. They're like, we've seen enough. Let's make you king, Jesus. And this is what it says in John, the John version, John chapter 6, verse 15. Jesus, perceiving that they were intending to come take him by force to make him king, withdrew again to the mountain by himself alone. Let's look at these words for a second withdrew again, meaning he does this, to the mountain, and then it says, by himself alone, just in case we didn't get that he was by himself. By himself alone, he goes, right? Jesus is sneaking away to be with the Father again. This is his rhythm. I love that about Jesus. And then there's this moment. We come to the cross. Oh, so we can model the gentleness and humility of Jesus with our will. And you know, people ask that question like, what would Jesus do in this moment? What would Jesus do right now? But even Jesus shows us the only way to sustain this kind of living is nearness to the Father. And so we get to this moment where this is Jesus's marathon moment. And the question that I have now is we know that Jesus goes to the Father. This is how he sustains it through his nearness to God but what does he actually do when he's with the Father? I want to know, right? How does he sustain this kind of gentleness and humility? Will you look at Matthew 26 together? This is Jesus' marathon moment, the evening before his greatest test, the crucifixion, his betrayal, his arrest. What does Jesus do when he's with the Father? Matthew 26, verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane and told his disciples, sit here 
while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee with him, and he began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch for me. Okay, as we read these next verses, remember what we're looking for. Jesus, his rhythm is to go, be near to the Father, but what does he do when he's with the Father? Verse 39, and he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, not as I will, but as you will. What does Jesus do? He falls on his face and he submits consistently to the will of the Father. Verse 40, came to the disciples and he found them sleeping and he said to Peter, you couldn't keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying so that you do not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I love that he tells Peter exactly why he needs to pray, right? So that you don't come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's consistently submitting to the will of the Father. He's humbling himself before the Father, and he's strengthening himself with the power of the Father. Verse 42, he went away again a second time and prayed. That's why I say consistently submitting to the will of the Father. Watch him. He goes again. My Father, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink from it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy, and he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Have you ever thought, as you're reading through the Gospels, Jesus is so calm and full of peace, even though he knows he's walking toward his death on the cross? I think that all the time. Like, Jesus knows exactly where he's going. He hints at it over and over again. I know what I'm doing here. I know why God sent me. And yet he's so calm and full of peace. And one of the reasons that I love this passage is because I'm reminded, this makes it real for me, I'm reminded that Jesus is a man too. He doesn't want to go to the cross. He says it three times, like, Lord, if there is any other way, can we do that? If there's any other way, I, I don't want to do it. It says my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. I can relate to that Jesus, you know? Because it's one thing if Jesus displays this gentleness and this humility consistently in his life, and it's easy for him to do. It's easy for him to step out of the spotlight and to not engage in the argument that he would win but it's a whole nother thing if Jesus is actually doing what we see him doing in this passage. 
realigning himself with the will of the Father and strengthening himself by the power of the Father and humbling himself before the Father, right? I can relate to that, and this makes the how make sense to me. This is compelling for me, this picture of the honest place that Jesus is, and you know what happens. You know where this goes, right? He gets arrested. Does he fight and resist his arrest? No. He goes willingly, gentle and humble, and then he goes to Pilate, and they're questioning him. Does he play that game? Nope. Gentle and humble, all the way to the moment where he's crucified. First Peter says it like this. Listen to this. While being abusively insulted, he did not insult in return. While suffering, he did not threaten. But he kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. That's it. He kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. That's how he did it. That's how he sustained his way, consistently submitting to the will of the Father, humbling himself before the Father, being strengthened by the power of the Father. And there's something else. In the John 17 passage, which is the priestly prayer, one of my favorite passages in Scripture, it's Jesus' prayer to the Father, his words to the Father written out right before he's betrayed and goes to the cross. It's this intimate prayer between the two of them. Here's how it closes. Here's Jesus' words in John 17. He says, I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known, so that the love with which you love me, the Father loves Jesus, may be in them, and I in them. And this is the why. This is the, the reason that Jesus lives the way he does. And I think this is what he wants us to learn when he says, take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. I want to take you with me on this, because I really want us, what I've been praying for is not that I would teach this, that you would receive it and see it and discover it for yourself right now. So will you think about this for a second with me? Think, just think about it. Why would Jesus, when they are ready to honor him and give him praise and give him glory, why would he turn away from that? He deserves it. He deserves the honor. God deserves all the honor and the praise and the glory, right? Why, when they're saying things that are insulting and untrue about him, why doesn't he defend himself? Think about it. He could. He would know what to say. He'd have the perfect response. He's part God, right? Why does he turn away from the praise? And why does he wait? And why does he keep hiding back with the Father? again and again and again. And I've been thinking about this as I've been preparing for you, for us, and just discovering the truth of this text for myself over the last few months, preparing for this weekend together. And it hit me. It's, it's because 
of what he says in John 17. I have made your name known to them, and I will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. See, Jesus doesn't just love us enough to die for us. He loves us enough to have lived for us. We, we focus on the cross, and that is the moment where Jesus shows us his love in the most powerful way. But when we study and we look at his life, we see that every moment, every action, every decision, the reason behind it was out of love for you, out of love for me, that he knew I'm waiting. This is leading me to the cross where I'm going to show my love. But even on the way to the cross, I'm going to demonstrate that love. Right? Do you see it? Do you see it? And so this, is, this changes everything because, here's why. When Jesus says, trust me and trust my way, and I will lead you to rest, we trust him because we know we are loved. We trust him because we know what he has done for us. And I have been sitting with this because I am just an achiever and a doer by like sinful nature. I just want to think like, what's the takeaway? What's the application here? What do we walk away with? What are our marching orders? How do we be good at this? And we could so easily walk away with, how do I be gentle and humble like Jesus? And that's such a, a good question. Okay. But there's so much more. Because when we see that the reason that Jesus did it was out of his deep love for you and for me, what does that lead us to do? There is no illustration that I could give. There is no story that would ac accurately represent the power and breadth of this love. And when we just see it and receive it and live by it and stand on it, and that is our motivation for obedience, what that leads us to, you guys, is worship. Like, that's the takeaway. When I look at the gentle and humble way of Jesus, when he says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. I am gentle in heart, humble in heart. I love you. Watch how I lived. <sighs> and once we do, what can we do but praise? What can we do but just give glory to God to respond with absolute adoration and awe and wonder? And get this. <sighs> What does it lead us to? Humility. <laughs> what a roundabout way to get there, right? What a roundabout way to get to the gentleness and humility of Jesus that would overflow out of our response to his love. So the band's going to come back up right now. I just invite you 
to respond to the love of God, to take a few moments to just worship. Father, I just pray that these truths about who you are and your way and how you live, lived would just bring us to our knees. Lord, that you would receive all the honor and all the glory that this would be all about you and who you are and that we, could, we would understand that we can't do anything but worship. We're humbled. Keep us in that place, Lord. Settle us into that. May we not forget what we were made to do.